good evening. If you want to be turning with me, you be turning with me to the book of Exodus, chapter 17. Book of Exodus, chapter 17. We'll be reading verses uh, 8 through 13 of Exodus, chapter 17. Uh, while you're turning there, let me, let me just say, I did, I grew up in a musical family. My father, my brother, my sister had a bluegrass gospel group for many years, and they sang... Uh, all over north, northern Alabama, southern Tennessee, northwest Mississippi, uh, into Georgia some, and they were called Sugar Creek Gospel. And, uh, of course, I started preaching when I was 19 years old and left there to go move away from my wife and I, for me to go to college. And so I've not lived back there much over these 40-something years that, that we, when we moved away from there. So I didn't, I didn't get to go and do those kind of things with them. Lord had me preaching while they was out making making music, playing music, and singing. Because I grew up playing the guitar and the mandolin, those kind of things. But uh, they 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 had they got a lot more of that musical ability than I did. I guess that's why God just figured I just need to be a preacher. Uh, let let other people take care of the of the playing and singing. I, I I I guess I collect instruments now more than I than I actually play them. Uh, so I, I've always been enjoyed doing that since I was a kid, and uh, I've also been able to help some help some people. Uh, who are taking lessons to maybe get some some nice instruments that they can learn on, and and uh, I'm hoping that if I can help some of these young people with that, well, one day maybe if they get rich and famous, they'll remember that little preacher that encouraged them and helped them way back when. So, uh, thank you for being here tonight. I appreciate you being here so much. Uh, Exodus chapter 17. Now, don't you understand the What's going on here? We find Moses and the children of Israel. They're camped on one hillside. And the Amalekites are camped on the other hillside. And that below them is a valley. The valley of Rephidim. And they, and Moses knows that if, if they're going to go forward, if they're going to continue, they're going to have to engage in battle with the Amalekites. And so he goes before God to get a plan. And let's look in verse 8 of Exodus chapter 17. <clears throat> then came Amalek and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said unto Joshua, Choose us out, men, and, and go out and fight with Amalek tomorrow, and I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in mine hand. So Joshua did as Moses had said to him, and he fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up on the top of the hill. And it came to pass when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy. And they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat thereon. And Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands, the one on the one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. And may God add his blessings to the reading of his word. As I said, we find Israel here in a predicament. They're, in order to continue on, uh, they're going to have to engage in battle with the Amalekites. Now, uh, this, this will be the first encounter. This will be the first battle with the Amalekites in their wilderness wanderings, but it won't be their last because the Amalekites will be going to be a, a thorn in the, in the flesh to Israel. They're going to attack them. They're going to, they're going to ambush them in time to time. But this is the first, first encounter they have. They battle the Amalekites. And so God, uh, Moses apparently goes before God to get the battle plan. 
And so he comes back when he, he got the plan. He comes back before the people, and he has, he has with him a young man named Joshua, who's probably about 20 years old at this time. And he introduces Joshua to the, to the congregation of Israel, the people of Israel. And he's, he introduces him as the general. He will be the general, if you will, of the Israelite army. He will be the one who will lead the soldiers into battle. And so, as we look at this, as we think about this in the, in the history and account of Israel, I want you to consider with me, I want, you, I want you to notice some things here. Particularly, I want you to notice all the different hands that would be involved in this battle. And it takes a lot of hands to fight battles, doesn't it? A lot of hands. So, it's, it's true here, just like it is today. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> the first hands we want to look at, we see, are what I call the warrior hands. Now, that's Joshua and those soldiers that he's going to lead. They'll be the warrior hands. You get, if you're going to fight battles, you've got to have some warrior hands, right? Somebody's got to take a bow and arrow. Somebody's got to take a shield uh, and a sword. Somebody's got to take a spear and engage the enemy in hand-to-hand mortal combat. It's got to have some warrior hands. So Joshua will be the one leading those warrior hands. And, he's, and what he does is, Moses says to Joshua, he says, choose you out. Choose us out. It's interesting what he didn't say. Notice he didn't say go ask for volunteers. And there's a reason for that. Because sometimes people volunteer to do things they're not gifted to do. But nobody else would do it, so they just kind of felt bad. And, and so they said, well, we'll do it till somebody else can, and, and then nobody else ever does. And, and, then, and, and, and what, you know what happens when you do that? You wind up being miserable. Miserable in things you're trying to do that you don't have the gifts and abilities to really to do that. It's not really, it doesn't really even interest you. And, and, and the worst thing we can do is put people in positions that they can't, that they don't have the gift to do that position. Uh, that's why it's so important to, to do studies of the, uh, of the gifts of the Spirit and understand what everyone's gift, every Christian has different gifts and, and understand what our gifts are and get people placed in, these, in places where they'll enjoy it. Because I'm telling you, people who are miserable doing what they're doing in church, they're not just miserable themselves, they make everybody around them miserable. And that's, that's a terrible thing to do. And so he didn't say, he didn't say go, go ask for volunteers. He said, Joshua, choose us out. And so apparently Joshua goes from tent to tent throughout the camp of Israel and handpicks the, all the warrior hands that he's going to lead. Now understand, this is important to Joshua. Let me tell you why. Because he's, his life's going to be in their hands. I mean, he's going to lead them into battle. His life will be in their hands. So he knows he's got to get some big guys. He's got to get some strong guys. He's got to get some guys who are great archers and great with a sword and shield and great with a spear. And he's got, he got to get some men who are real fighters. And so he, he goes through and he selects these. And that next morning, there they stand. There's Joshua and all the warrior hands. There's Moses. And he has, Moses has with him two men, Aaron and Hur. Now, these guys weren't soldiers. They, they were priests in Israel. <clears throat> so, but they're there with Moses. So Moses sends Aaron and the, I mean, Joshua and all the warrior hands, he sends them down into the valley of Rephidim to engage in battle with the Amalekites. Now, while the battle's going on, Moses, the Bible says, takes Aaron and her and goes up to a high place on a hill. And there they stand overlooking the battle below. Now, I think it's very significant that they went up in a high place. They went up to the highest point where they could see. One, because they could watch the battle there. They could see how the battle was doing. But you see, sometimes when you're in the heat of the battle, and you're in the midst of the battle, the only thing you can see is the enemy. You can't see behind you, you can't see to the side of you, you can't see ahead of you many times because all you see is, is, is the, the enemy around you in the battle. Somebody needs to be positioned in a high place that sees not just the battle, not just the valley, but sees the mountain past the valley, sees the victory past this battle. And, and, and so that's why Moses stood on the top of the hill. The Bible tells us he had his hands up in the air, had his hands held up like this on top of the mountain. 
Now, we also know he had, the Bible said he had the rod of God in his hands. So we don't know exactly how much that weighed, but it had some weight. So he's holding his hands up like this with the rod of God in his hands. Then the Bible tells us that as the day wears on, as, as there's Moses, Aaron and her, remember, up on the highest part of the hill, Moses got his hands above his head with the rod of God in his hand. He said, as long as Moses held his hands up high, guess what's happening in the valley? The warrior hands of Israel are winning. I mean, there's, there's Moses on the hill. Now, he, he, he's what I call the, the worshipful hands. He, his hands are held up in worship and surrender to Almighty God. By the way, if, if you stood up in, in, before a battle starts and you just got in a high place and you put your hands up like this, in, in international understanding, what does that mean? I, I, no, I surrender. Was Moses getting up and surrendering to the Amalekites before the battle even got started? Oh, he was surrendering all right, but he wasn't surrendering to the Amalekites. He was surrendering to Jehovah God. He's saying, God, without you, we can't win this or any other battle. We need So his hands, worshipful hands, held up in high, high in worship uh, and surrender before Almighty God. And as long as his hands were held up high down in the valley, the, the Israelites were winning. I mean, Amalekites were dying right and left. Israel was winning the battle. I mean, it's good. They're winning the battle. Got these warrior hands doing what warrior hands can do. But as the day wears on, the Bible says something starts happening to Moses. He said his hands became heavy. What happened to him? He got tired. Now listen, if you hold your hands like this above your head with nothing in them, at some point, your arms are going to begin to feel heavier and heavier until they feel like pieces of lead. And the best you can do, if nobody helps you, they're going to start to, to lower on you. And Moses did have the rod of God in his hand. And as like I said, that's some weight, but still, as, as he stands there throughout the day with his hands up like this, the Bible says his hands got heavy, weary hands. And when his hands got weary, those worshipful hands of Moses became weary hands, began to lower. What happens in the valley below? The battle turns. Where once the Israelites were winning, Amalekites were dying. Now the Amalekites are winning and Israelites are dying. Listen, somebody needs to do something. If somebody doesn't do something, Israel's going to be defeated before they ever get started in their wilderness wanderings. So there stood Aaron and Hur. Now these, these weren't the warrior hand. You know, they weren't down in the valley, hand-to-hand -hand mortal combat with engaging the enemy. They were there with, with the leader, Moses. So what, what did they do? Well, the Bible says... They took a stone, they got a stone, and they set Moses on that stone. Aaron got on one side, Her got on the other side. <clears throat> Aaron got a hold of one hand, Her got a hold of the other, Moses. And together they, took, they put their willing hands on those weary hands and pulled them back up and held them there till they were once again worshipful hands. And there they stood the rest of the day, hands held high in worship and surrendered to Almighty God. And guess what? One more time, the battle turned in the valley below. And in that, in that valley, in that battle below, the, now the Israelites were winning again. And so when the day was finished, when at the end of the day, the Bible said that Joshua had discomfited Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Now, that's kind of a polite word, uh, discomfited. Uh, where I grew up over in Pea Ridge, Alabama, we'd just say, whooped a far at them is what they did. They won the battle. They won the battle. Who, now, 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 think about that. All those hands involved. Think about all these hands involved. It takes a lot of hands to fight battles, right? Which ones were the most important hands, you think? I mean, what about the warrior hands? I mean... You've got to have warrior hands fight battles, right? Somebody's got to engage the enemy. They weren't, weren't they important? Wait a minute, what about the worshipful hands of Moses? Listen, if our leaders are not surrendered to God, we're in trouble already. Can I tell you, we're in trouble already. And we've been in trouble for some time in this country, around this world. Those worshipful hands, I mean, how important they are. But wait a minute, when those worshipful hands became weary hands, 
What about the willing hands of Aaron and her? Had they not been there with Moses? See, Moses was an intelligent man. He was a smart leader. He knew not to go up on the top of that hill by himself. They were there with him. And they, listen, they were watching. They, they, were, they were intelligent men. They, they, they realized what's going on. They're watching the battle. And they realize as long as Moses' hands are held up high, Israel's winning. And then they notice when his hands start to lower, they, they notice that now the Amalekites, they're, they're figuring this out. So, so what did they do? Well, let me tell you what they didn't do. They didn't run back down to camp and have a special call business meeting to elect a new leader. Don't you understand something about Moses, okay? Moses was a strong man physically. Even though he was up in age, he was a strong man physically. He was one, probably one of the greatest leaders that's ever lived. His hands did not begin to lower because he was a weak man, because of weakness. His hands did not begin to lower because he had sin in his life. You know, I was thinking about this one day, and, and I was thinking about as Aaron and her were standing watching Moses, his hands getting lower. And I, could, I got thinking, you know, if Aaron and her happened to have been free will Baptist guys, I'm wondering kind of how that conversation would have gone. Let's stay with me. It, it might have gone something like this. Aaron said her, and her said what? Aaron said, you look at Moses, bless his heart. And her said, yeah, old man ain't what he used to be, is he? Aaron said, yeah, I remember there was, there was a day when he could held his hands up all day long, never lowered them one bit. Then her would say, well, you know, I've been thinking, he must have some sin in his life. Aaron said, well, I hadn't thought about it until you brought that up, but God wouldn't let his hands lower if he didn't have, didn't have sin in his life. And you know what? They'd have crucified him all that day, and, and Israel would have been defeated before they ever got started. But that's not what they did. Bible says they put their willing hands on Moses' weary hands and raised them back up till they were worshipful hands. They did, they did what they could where they were with what they had to offer. They weren't the warrior hands fighting in the valley. They weren't the worshipful hands of the leader. They were just the willing hands to do whatever they could for the battle. I, how much education do you figure it, th- it took for them to do what they did? Now, don't, don't misunderstand me. I'm, I'm for education. I, I absolutely am for education, and especially preachers. I, th- I feel like they need to get, get all they can uh, because we, we face so many things today that we didn't used to face. We, and we deal with so many different kinds of people today than we, we've ever dealt with. And so we, we need, but sometimes people wait to say, well, when I get through with school, then I'll serve the Lord. When I, when I get through with the... They did, how much education do you think it took to do what? Listen, I, did, I checked several years back. I checked every school I knew about. I, 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 have, I have yet to find, not, you can't not, you not get a degree in it. You can't even find one class on hand holding high. How much education did it take for them to do what they did that day? How much experience you figure it took? I mean, think about how, how long you figure they had to practice on a dummy before they could do it for real? What I'm trying to say is this, there are a lot of people in the background and standing watching the battle, watching the warrior hands, watching the worship hands, and they're, they're not either one of those necessarily, but, but they should be, be willing hands that when the, weary, the hands of the leaders get weary and begin to drop, they're right there waiting and willing and able to step in and put their hands on the weak hands and raise them back up together. Oh, listen, we need in our world today, we need in the church today some willing hands.
Oh, we got warrior hands. We got the preachers preaching the Word of God and teachers teaching the Word of God and singers singing the Word of God. We got the, but I'm telling you what, we also got some leaders that, that have surrendered before God and have, and have worshipful hands and, and, and before God Almighty. But I'm telling you, we need some willing hands because sometimes pastors get weary. You hear me? Now, I hadn't pastored in a long time, but I pastored for 13 years before I started doing what I do now. And I'm with pastors about different pastors, 45 or so different pastors every year. So I, I, I don't, I'm not that I've forgotten what it's like, that I don't know what it's like. Can I just tell you, sometimes they get weary. And it's not because they're weak. And it's not because they have sin in their life. I don't care how strong you are. I don't care how close to God you think you are. I'm telling you, every one of us will get weary in well-doing sometime. I was sitting in the office in Cookville, Fro Baptist uh, Church in Cookville, Tennessee. I was pastoring there. It's probably been 30 years ago now. And uh, I was sitting in my office, and the phone rang. So I answered the phone, and uh, a young man, young man, he told me his name, told me his wife's name. He said, uh, he said we, we met you at the state meeting, heard you preach there, and, and he said, you probably don't remember us. I said, well, I do remember you. I, I described to him what she looked like, what he looked like, and I said, because I was very impressed with you. I, I, was just, was, I thought you were you know, a very handsome couple and, and just, uh, you know, seemed to be so dedicated. So I said, yeah, I know, I know who you are. He said, well, he said, we heard you preach there, and we're wondering if, uh, if you could come, we could schedule you to come preach revival at our church. I said, well, sure, I'll be glad to do that. I can preach, you know, several a year as pastor here. They let me preach some. And so we, we got together on a time. So I remember driving. I'd never been to this town or to this church. So I remember driving. I remember getting to the parsonage, pulling up and pulling into the driveway of the parsonage right behind the church. And I remember when that young man and his wife stepped out on, on the porch there, and they had two little girls. Uh, the oldest was about three. The youngest, was, I think, was like one. Uh, and, and I just remember getting out of my car and seeing them standing there on the porch waiting to greet me. I just, I just remember saying, Lord, thank you. Thank you for young couples like this, a beautiful family like this that, that, that are giving their lives to serve you. And so, uh, so I, I, I'm staying with, I'm staying in the parsonage. They had a, they, I got to, they put me in, in one of the girls. I slept in so many bedrooms. I had to take like 59 stuffed animals off the bed, you know, to go to bed. And uh, our, our Hot Wheels cars or, you know, Legos in the bed kind of stuff, you know. But uh, that's okay. But uh, so I'm staying with them. Well, the next morning we started the meeting. So after the Sunday morning service, the pastor and his wife and the little girls, they take me. We, we go to lunch. And so we're sitting there at lunch. And so about halfway through the meal, I just laid my utensil down. I looked at him. I said, okay, what's going on in this church? He said, what do you mean? He kind of looked at her. She looked at him in a kind of startled look. He said, what do you mean? I said, no, I still do that. I said, listen, when, when you've been doing this a while, you can tell when things aren't right. I said, I don't know what it is, but something's not right here. I said, now, I don't mean this mean. I don't mean this cruel. I'm just, I, I said, I said, <clears throat> I've never had as hard a time <clears throat> trying to preach as I had this morning. Just like I would, you know, everything I was saying was just <clears throat> falling flat on the floor. And that nobody, nobody was getting anything. And I, I said, so something, something going on. I said, now, either you tell me or you can rest assured before this week is over, one of your members will feel compelled to share it with me. He looked at her and she looked at him and both of them began to cry. And this is what he said. He said, Brother David, we would hope you would never know. We'd hope maybe you come and, and revival would break out and it, we wouldn't have to, that you'd never even have to know about it. He said, but a few months ago, my wife and I took a stand on an issue in our church. We took a very strong stand. Our leaders took an opposing stand. And ever since then, they've been doing everything they can uh, to run us off from here.
He said, they've cut my salary twice trying to run us off from here. He said, they put notes in our mailbox, anonymous notes that say things like this. If you don't leave this church, one night while you and your family are asleep in the parsonage, somebody's going to set fire to it. Notes that say things like this. We watch and we know when your wife and daughters leave to go for, the, for her to take them to daycare. And one morning when she gets in the car with them and starts to car is going to explode if you don't leave this church i'm thinking i'm sitting there, i'm dumbfounded I, I i'm thinking what i mean that's crazy and, and he looked at me and the tears running down his face he said brother david it's not that we're gluttons for punishment we've just prayed and prayed and begged god but god has not given us liberty to leave so we just hope revival will break out this week and it'll get better well, it didn't happen Sunday night. Went back Sunday night. I thought it was bad Sunday morning. It was worse Sunday night. Monday night, oh, it's just, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm preaching so hard, I get through my chest hurts. And I mean, it's nothing. Just nothing. Tuesday morning, we're at the parsonage. <clears throat> we're sitting in the living room. I think I was actually sitting on the floor having a tea party with the girls. And, you know, when you're traveling, you get to do a lot of fun stuff like that, you know. And, uh, <clears throat> so fortunately, I had a daughter, so I knew how to have a tea party, you know. And then my son and I never had any tea parties, but that's another, that's another issue. <clears throat> but, but anyway, we, so we're sitting there, and there's a knock on the door. So the pastor goes and opens the door, and it's a delegation of leadership from the church. And so uh, they come into the living room, and, and, and right there in my presence, thank you, Miss Leslie, right there in my presence, and, and the presence of that man, his wife, and those little girls, this is what they said to them. They said, we have been noticing that the water bill has been being too high at the parsonage. So we have investigated and determined the cause. You folks are flushing the commode too much. <laughs> then they said, we have met and voted a three flush per day minimum on this house. No, maximum. Three flush maximum. Total. Per day on this half. And then they said, if you've got to go more than that, you just have to let it build up. Now, I don't know what that does to you, but I'm sitting in the floor. Something started rising up in me. I, I wish I could tell you it was the spirit. It was a spirit, but it, the redneck starts climbing out. That, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. I mean, I don't care what we disagree about. We don't treat each other that way. That got me so bad. I hate to tell you what I did. The bathroom was right off the living room. I get up, I walk in there, leave the door. And I didn't use it, so don't go ahead of me, okay? Left the door open, I went over and I flushed the toilet. I let it fill up. Flushed it again. Six times I flushed it, let it fill up. Them standing right outside the door. I walked out and said, all right, that's two days worth. Take it out of my check. Now, I can tell you that made them mad. That's not even close. One guy, the big guy, the kind of the ringleader guy, is a big old guy, big red face, his face puffed, his cheeks puffed down, the bangs popped down. I mean, he, he couldn't even, he just said, oh, oh. He, he never got a word out. Finally, he spun around. He stomped out the door. They stomped out behind him, slammed the door, got in their cars, and slung gravel everywhere to leave him. I wish I could tell you revival broke out in church that, that church that week. I thought it had been bad Sunday, Sunday night and Monday night. Oh, it's, going, it's getting worse. I mean, Tuesday night. Now, <clears throat> they're coming in. <clears throat> when I walk toward them to speak, they go the other way. Won't even shake my hand. Won't even speak to me. But they keep coming. 
sit there and just kind of glare at me while I'm preaching. That's one of the hardest weeks I've ever had trying to preach a revival meeting. And I've preached lots of meetings, you understand me? In lots of places. And that's the hardest thing I've ever had to try to do. And every service, you hear me? Every single service, Sunday morning through Friday night, when the invitation was given and started, that pastor and his wife both would come and just and, and kneel together in the altar, just weeping and praying. And I would say, oh, listen, your pastor and his wife up here praying. Wouldn't some of you just come and just put your arm around them, just let you know, just let them know you love them and, 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 you're, and you're praying for them. And in seven services that week, you know how many people came up and put their arm around them and knelt beside them and prayed with them? Zero. Not one person, not one person came to that altar. I'd planned to wait and go home, drive home Saturday morning. I'm going to tell you, by Friday afternoon, I had my stuff in the car, and I told us, you know, I'm feeling pretty good. I, I'm going I'm I'm to go home. I'm driving home after service tonight. I, I think I'm, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good. I must be honest with you. I, I, I want to get back to Cookville, Tennessee. <laughs> I want to get back to the folks. I want to get back to folks that love me, <laughs> love my wife and my children. I want to get back to a church that was so kind and gracious and gener- generous to us. Most of them, the older ones, my children called Gramps and Granny. Oh, they just love to kiss you on the cheek and smear lipstick and makeup all over you and just shake your hand and hug your neck. I just want to get back where people loved me, cared about me. I remember standing in the drive that Friday night after the service, about to get in my car and go back to Cookville, Tennessee. There, that young man and woman and his wife stood and their little girls, and this is what they said to me. They said, Brother Crow, we've decided that if God's not going to give us liberty to leave this church and go somewhere else, I'm just going to get out of ministry and get a job. If this is how you get treated when you're a pastor, I don't want it. And they said, you please pray for us. Well, I prayed for them there. And then I prayed for them as I traveled home. And in the weeks that followed, I, I'd pray for them. And I was praying for them one morning in my office. been a couple of weeks or so. And Now listen, I had told nobody about this except Kathy. I, my, I came home and told Kathy about it. She was horrified that, that, that any church would act that way about, about their pastor. And... Uh, but I'm in my office, I'm studying, and, and I was praying, Lord, please, Lord, they, they, that young couple, they need help. They, they need somebody. They need somebody to, to help them. They, we're going to lose them, Lord. And, and I'm tired, Lord, I'm tired of losing some of the brightest we have. I'm tired of losing some of the best, most gifted young people we have because of these kind of things. God, somebody needs to help them. And in my heart, it's like God said, well, why don't you help them? Be careful when you're praying about things. God's good at that kind of stuff, let me just tell you. And I had been studying this text. I had been studying this, this text in Exodus chapter 17. And God just kind of brought my attention back to something. So I'm looking through it again. As I began to see all those hands involved, all those hands you needed to fight battles, I realized there's one set of hands that are there, but it doesn't mention them because they're invisible. I call those the wonderful hands of the Almighty. You see, when God looked down upon Israel that day, looked down upon that valley, and he saw all hands doing what they could do for the battle. Could we say all hands on deck? All hands doing what they could do for the battle. It pleased him, and so his hands came down on that valley, and it was his hands that brought the battle. It was his power that brought the victory in that battle that day. God's hands. You see, I just believe that God, when he looks upon his church, 
it pleases him when he sees all of us doing what we can for the battle. All of us using whatever gifts and abilities God's given us for the battle. Pleases him. Well, I'm thinking, well, Lord, what, what can I do to help them? I got to think about Moses. You know, Moses, as I said, he wasn't a weak man. He, he, he had, didn't have sin in his life. None of that, none of that it just, he just got weary. And I got to think about that young couple. They weren't weak. Listen, they, they were strong. That's probably some of two of the strongest people I've ever met in my life. I'm going to just be honest with you. If, you. if somebody threatens to blow up my wife and kids, I'm pretty sure you're going to meet the redneck. I don't, I don't know that I could have, I could have stayed there like they did. I, and I just don't know whether I could. They weren't, well, they didn't work gifted. Listen, he's a talented singer. In, in, in the southeast, when there are southern gospel, big-name southern gospel groups, if, they, if their uh, bass singer was not able to go, they, they'd call this boy to come and fill in for him. I mean, he, he was that talented. She was, she was a beautiful young lady, and those beautiful little girls, and just a precious family. And she was so talented. And, and I kept praying, Lord, I don't, I don't want us to lose them. We've lost too many. I don't want to lose them. And God put on my heart, David, I want you, I want you to put your hands on their weary hands. You in church, I want you to encourage them and help them. And God put on my heart what he wanted us to do. I got to church that Wednesday night. We had our, I got up to do the Bible study. And I said, now, I'm, I'm not doing exactly what I've been doing. I said, we'll have a little study, but, but I got something else I want to share with you. So I, I went through this text, just like I kind of did with you tonight, and talk about all these different hands. And then I, st- then I told them about what had happened while I was in that revival a few weeks before. Like I said, I had told nobody but my wife. And I just remember looking, seeing the looks on their faces, looks of horror. Uh, they just can't believe that, that people would be treated that way in church. And, and so I told them about that, and then I said to them, I said, listen, I said, I've been praying, and this is what God wants us to do. So I'm, I'm, I want you to give me permission tonight to go home and call that man and invite him and his wife and little girls to come to Cookville, Tennessee. And they can stay as long as they want to stay. And we're going to put them up somewhere, and we'll feed them. And I said, let me tell you why I want to bring them here. I want to bring them here so you can love on them like you love on me and Kathy and my children. They need somebody to love on them. They need to know that not all churches are like that. I said, would you, would you let me do that? In the back of the church, in the center section, one of my deacons stood up. His name was James Arnold Neighbors. He was an automobile mechanic by trade, never had much money. Gave most of it away. Fixed more preachers and missionaries' car for free than any man I've ever known. He stood up and had a wrinkled face and tan face. and He said, preacher, this... This is the greatest thing I've ever, I've ever heard. He said, why haven't we already been doing this? And I said, Brother, Brother James, it's my fault. I'm the pastor. I should have known. I should have known. We should have been doing this all along. But I didn't know. I said, but now I know. And from now on, we're going to do better. He pulled his wallet out. He reached that dug deep, and he pulled out a folded-up bill. He opened it up. He said, Pastor, there's $100. He said, will that, will that take care of a meal while they're here? I said, that'd be a great start. Brother James, thank you so much. And then people started standing up all over the congregation. I came that night thinking I was going to just help that church or that pastor and his family. Little did I realize what it was going to do to us. God changed us that night. We were never the same after that. People started standing up, bawling, Brother Crow, when they come, will you bring them over to our house? Let us love on them. Let us fix them a meal. Brother Crow, we... 
And then a young man named Kerry stood up. Kerry was assistant manager of the Hampton Inn there, close to the church. And, and uh, he said, Brother Crow, he says, you know, I'm the assistant manager at the Hampton Inn. And I said, I know, Kerry, and I appreciate the good deals you get us for, you know, when our preachers come in uh, for rooms there. You, you all have been so kind. Thank you so much. He's still single at that time. And, and uh, he said, well, listen, when they come, he said, listen, we, we just opened up the suite, the big two-room suite. said, it's not even been rented out yet, said, but, it's, but it's ready. It's ready to go. And he says, he, he said, if you'll let me know if they're coming, when they're coming, let me know when. He says, I'll just go ahead and reserve that for them. He said, we'll let the church have that for, for the rate of a regular room and, and then cut that in half. I said, come on, you're getting there. Come on, come on. And uh, I said, you go ahead and book it. Start for tomorrow night. He said, really? I said, I said, I, he said hey, you hadn't talked. I said, well, I'm pretty sure they're going to come. Uh, it's bad. So I said, you just put it down. He said, how long? Just put it indefinite. Well, that's you know. He said, I'll do it, Brother Crow. One by one, people kept standing up. People who had never volunteered to do anything. Found something they could put their hands on. All of a sudden, Randall stood up in the back corner. Ryan was a great guy. I loved him, but he's never said much. So he stood up and said, Brother Crow, can I say something? I said, everybody sit down and be quiet, Randall. You don't ever say anything. Take all the time you need, buddy. Tears running down his face into his beard. And that's what he said. He said, Preacher, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen. He said, you know, me and my wife, we love this church and love you, Miss Kathy, and the kids so much. But we don't know what we can do here. We don't have certain talents and abilities we wondered what we could do here he said you know I've, I've got a lot of property and i've got horses and and he said well, maybe when they come bring that family if it's a saturday that met, met they, you and kathy and the kids and you bring them and their kids out and we'll have a picnic lunch and and you know and and, and we'll just ride horses and just let you kind of get away from everything he said well that, that'd be all right i said randall I, that sounds like a great thing to me i said miss robbie his wife i said miss robbie i want, I want bologna and cheese Mustard, no mayo. <laughs> Write that down. <laughs> well, I, I, it was obvious. I saw that they wanted us to do something. So I said, okay, so you're, everybody's giving me, you, you, you give me the permission to call him tonight, invite him to come here. Everybody, amen. Do it, Brother David. So after the service, I, I went home and I, I called him. When I told him what our church wanted to do, that man lost his composure. He, for the longest, he couldn't say one word. He just couldn't believe that people that didn't even know him wanted to do this for him I said well when can you come he said it's tomorrow too soon no. I said no I said it's ready you come on meet us at, we'll meet you at the Hampton Inn in Coopville Tennessee right off I-40 and we'll meet you there I met him there the next day and there was Carrie me and Carrie and the family pulls up and they get out and Kerry takes us into this, and I hadn't seen it yet, takes us into this big two-room two, two suite. It's nice. We walk in there. Now, you got to stand this couple, kind of a, that kind of look came from hillbilly country. Now, there's lots of people that think rednecks and hillbillies are the same, but they're not the same. Now, there are some similarities, but they are not the same. And so we walk in there. Listen, I mean, and this place is it, is, it is nice. I mean, big old rooms, big old screen TVs, you know, and, I, and it, I just a really a nice place. And we, we, we walk in there. She says, wow. She said, we never stayed in this nice a place. I'm thinking, I never stayed in this nice a place. 
Carrie, bless his heart, that single boy taking his own money and going and bought flowers and candy, toys. And the women in our church had already found out what their hobbies and interests were. And they brought books and perfume and jewelry. It was just all over, the, all over that suite. And she said, Brother Crow, this is bigger than the parsonage. I said, yeah, I know. I've been to that parsonage. I said, and by the way, as long as you're here, you can flush your commode all you want to. Make up for it if you want need to. And they, that night, we started taking them to our people's house. I've never been so proud of people in my life. <laughs> Every house we went to, we'd pull into the drive. It'd be the family that'd be standing on the porch or out in the yard by the drive. And, and we'd, not, we'd get out, listen. They'd come and hug and kiss those people on the cheek like they were long-lost family. We'd go in the house. I mean, it looked like they'd cooked everything in the house. And then there'd be a pile of presents over the corner. It wasn't Christmas. It wasn't even close to Christmas. But they'd gone and bought things for the, the whole family. They found out what sizes they wore and what they liked. And, and just, I, I just, I never been so proud of people in my life. They just loved on them. We loved on them. We took them Saturday, went out with Robbie and Randall. And we just had a wonderful day riding horses and to the hills back there. And then that evening, we brought them to our house and we just kind of got sat around our, in our living room and talked a while and laughed a while. If you're around me very long, you'll find out I, I, I like to laugh. I, I, I like, you know, I, I just think I, I'm with a lot of people who just need to lighten up a little bit. I'm just saying, you know, don't, I don't mean like you'd be foolish about it, but, but some, you know, it's okay to laugh. It's okay to, to enjoy some things, amen? Uh, and I, I, just, I, I like to laugh and cut up, and uh, I, I, th I still think I'm saved, uh, you know, pretty sure of that. But uh, we just knelt around my coffee table, him, me and Kathy and him and her and our kids. We just held hands and knelt around my coffee table. We just prayed a while there with them. And then I took them back. Now, that Wednesday night, when I, the church had given me permission to do this, I told them, I said, all right now. I said, they're probably going to come tomorrow, so they're going to be here Sunday, Sunday morning for church. I said, now. He's not preaching Sunday morning. That's not what I brought him here for. I said, but, if, you know, if, they, if they're here Sunday night, if he wants to preach Sunday night, he can. If he, wants, if he mentions it, I'll let him preach Sunday night if he wants to. But that's not what they're here for. But I, I said, I said, so now, if they come Sunday morning, let me tell you how it's going to go. You're going to be watching for them. And when they come in the church, I better, every one of you better get to them, shake their hand, hug their neck, and kiss them on cheek. Just like it's me and Kathy and my kids. I said, if you don't, I'll be watching and taking names. And if you don't, I'll be at your house on Monday. And they knew I meant that. I said, now, I know you're friendly people, but I'm just, I said, these people, they just need a, an extra dose of love, I'm just telling you. Well, Sunday morning, I picked them up. And I let them out under the cover there, and I went to park the car. And when I got into, I came in, we had a, a big wide hall uh, there. And when I, you, you couldn't get through the hall. Listen, our people mobbed those poor, that poor family. They were all over them. They were getting kissed all over the head and the face and the hair, getting makeup and stuff, lipstick all over, you know, and I, I could, you couldn't even get into them. And I finally said, I said let, let them have some hair. Let's get them, I hate to, for, to kill them before they even go to Sunday school. And uh, so we took them to Sunday school. And then they came in for the worship service. And I just, I always had a chair I sat in up 
for our worship service, and I just sit and kind of, as people are still coming in, just kind of watching. I actually just, I just love to, as our people come in, just pray for them as they came in. Lord, whatever need they have today, God, use something in a sermon, use something in a song, use something to help them with that need today. And so people coming on in, and of course they'd come on in, and they sat over on to my right, and that was our teenage section. That about, we had, I don't know, 75, 85, something like that, teenagers. We sit about 13 pews deep. And so they just said, listen, I look back at them, and him and her both, they had lipstick makeup smeared from their collar to their forehead. I thought, yeah, they just made them feel right at home here. And uh, they're sitting there. We started the service. Now, understand something. We, we had a good music program. At that time, our choir, we had probably 65, 70 people in our choir. And we had instruments. We had uh, the piano, the keyboard. We had balcony. Baptist uh, here and we had open balconies where your speakers, these speakers are. We had like drums on one side. We had horns. We had strings. We had guitar players, a banjo player, a couple of violin players, a bass player. I mean, we, we had, and our song leader, Brother Elmer Lawler, he, him and Dad Spears, the old Spears family, ran, ran around together when they were boys. He, he was the president of the Tennessee Singing Convention for many years. Uh, was from the old Stamps Baxter School of Music. And, man, that guy could get more singing out of folks than anybody I've ever seen. And uh, so we had good music. We had great specials, talented people. And uh, that morning, we started singing a congregational song. And I'm sitting there thinking, boy, you know, something sounds different. There they sound like they meant it or something. <laughs> You know, it's different when you sing and you mean it. Then it got time for the choir to sing, and they sang number 20 in the old church hymnal, He's My King. And, oh, they did it like it's supposed to be done. I've heard it many places, but they don't always do it like it's supposed to be done. And they got singing, He's My King, and, oh, my goodness. Of course, I'd go up in the choir. I, I wanted to be, you know, I didn't, I'd go up in the bass section where the choir would sing, but I just, I love singing with them. And, what we got singing, I'm thinking, man, this, something's just different. This is and this is good. It got time to preach, and oh, listen, the preaching was even better than usual. I mean, God got a hold of it, and I, I mean, it just moved. And we, I, we gave the invitation, and I just stood back on the stage, watched. People just started coming down every aisle. Healing at the altar in the front, on the steps. Got up in the choir loft on the stage around where I was. And oh, I stood there just watching what God was doing, and it, and it, it occurred to me. God had looked down upon us that week. You know what he saw? He saw all our hands doing what we could do for the battle. He saw Robbie's little hands making those bologna and cheese sandwiches for us. He saw Randall's rough hands brushing down those horses and getting ready for us to ride. He saw Sister Beulah, Sister Della, two, two sisters in our church. Oh, that made those fried apple pies and peach pies to die for. He saw their old wrinkled hands making those making those pies for that family. He saw Carrie's hands going and buying those things and put in that room for that family. He looked down on us and he saw all our hands doing what we could. And he pleased, it was pleasing to him. And so his hands had come down upon that service that day. We like to never got out of church. We think it was about over and it would start up again. Like to never got out of there. But it seemed like nobody cared. When God's moving, nobody cares about getting out of there. They're not worried about lunch. They're not worried about anything else when God's in it. When God's in it. 
Well, that afternoon there, we had him in our house, and he says, oh, man, what, what a great church. He says, man, I, I, maybe God let me preach at a great church like that one day. And I said, well, you're going to preach tonight? He says, you, you mean you'd let me? I said, well, you don't have to, but if you want. Yeah, he said, I believe I would. So, you know, so that night we come, and we, of course, we had great Sunday night crowds, too. We were, we, we were running about probably 650 on Sunday mornings. We'd have about uh, close to 500 on Sunday nights. And so, actually, it was our largest auditorium crowd because we didn't have children's churches on Sunday night like we did Sunday morning. So it was the largest crowd we'd have in the auditorium, and some of our best services were Sunday night. And so I introduced him to preach, and, and then I went and sat on the front by my buddy Richard Copeland had cerebral palsy. Uh, maybe sometime I preached a sermon about, I preached about Brother Richard Copeland with cerebral palsy. But I uh, sat with him. And I'm thinking, now, now Lord, I, you know, I, I hadn't heard him preach now, okay? I said, now, Lord, I, please, even if, he, even if he's not that good a preacher, uh, you know, help, help, help the people to, to, to amen him. And I'm thinking, I'll amen him. I'll, you know, Lord, if they don't, if, some, if, if he don't connect, I'll do it. I, I, I will, Lord. Listen, that boy got to preaching. I never heard like an amen and hallelujah and praising the Lord in my life. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm almost getting mad. I think, now, no, Lord, wait a minute. They don't name me in my preaching that much. That's, that's... That boy got excited. He, went, he almost ran laps around the auditorium. He preached, oh, my word. Gave the invitation. People just started coming from all over, all over the building, the altar, on the stage. And I looked, and I knew God's hands had come upon that place. Let me tell you something, anything's done in church is going to be done when God's hand comes upon it. But he's waiting to see our hands doing what we can do. Can I just tell you, it had been a long time since that boy had seen anybody come to the altar when he preached. Oh, he needed that so much. <laughs> but you know what? Our people got a blessing from it too. They stayed with us for some time. And finally they came, they said, well, we, we've got to go back. They stood in my driveway, about to get in their car and go home. This is what he said. He said, Brother David, we've talked about it, and we've already promised God that we're not going to get out of the ministry. If God allow us to leave that church and give us another church, we're going to stay in ministry. And I said, well, I promise you, I'll pray for you. I prayed for them, and they went home. About a month later, almost a month later, he calls me. He's so excited. He said, God had, kind of had given us, had released us from there. He said, we tried out at a church on the other side of the state. He said, oh, we, those people are just so sweet and loving. They just seem like they love me and my wife and my, my daughters. And said, we got a 100% boat to come. They said, that's the first 100% boat they ever remembered in over 100-year history of that church. And he was just so excited. And I just said, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Satan didn't get that family. Satan didn't rob them from us, rob them from ministry. So he went and took that church, and guess what? He's still at that same church today. Every time they break ground and build a new building, he calls me. <laughs> I remember the first time he called me back for revival. I, I was already, you know, I, it had been some years since, you know, a couple of years since I was with him. And he called me, if he'd been at that church a couple of years, he, said, he called me one day, he said, Brother, maybe I was going to see if you come preach revival for me. I said, how's things going? I'm going to tell you, I, I couldn't take another week like that week I had with him. Other, he laughed. He said, no, he said, oh, it's going great. It's going great. He's going, he said, I said, you promise. He said, I said, write it down, sign it, and send it to me, okay? And 
We set up a time. I'd never been to that church in that town. I remember pulling up, and, and it, you, you had to, I mean, it was a dirt road right before you got to the church, and, but there was cars parked, I mean, in a field. I had to park like a quarter of a mile from the church on the side of that road, and, and so when I get up there, I walk into Vestry, and I know nobody there but that pastor's wife and those two children. Well, when I walk in, that best, listen, those people mobbed me. They were, all, they were kissing me all over the face and the ears and the hair, and I mean, and, and just shaking my hand and arm and, and elbows, and, I, and, and they were saying, oh, we know who you are, you're Brother Crow. We'd know you anywhere. Oh, our pastor and his wife, and they love you so much. Oh, Brother Crow, thank you so much because you and your church loved them and encouraged them. They, God didn't let them quit, and God gave them to us, and the best thing ever happened to this church. And I'm just saying, thank you, Lord Jesus. Satan didn't get that family. Well, he's been there ever since. They built twice since he's been there. And every time he builds a new building, he has me come. And I preach the very first revival they have in their new building. And the, the last, they're in a building program again now. Uh, I'm not sure when it'll be completed. But I'm just telling you, sometimes people just need somebody to put some willing hands on their weary hands and help them. Help them. Not everybody that gets weary has sinned to cause it. Not everybody that gets weary is weak and unfaithful. We all get weary in well-doing sometimes. All of us. No exemptions. Because we're fleshly. We get weary. Boy, there have been times that God has put people in my life right at the right time. Put their willing hands on my weary hands. And to help me keep going. Try to do what God's called me to do. We made a ministry of that at our church in Cookville. We called it Hands Held High, a ministry of encouragement. And so several times a year, I'd just call some pastor. I'd call some foreign missionary. I'd call some home, church, home missionary or church planner. I'd just say, you probably never heard of us, but we know about you. And we understand you guys have been a little discouraged and been down. So we just want you to come to Cookville, Tennessee. We'll pay for your way to get here. We'll pay for wherever you want to go when you leave. We'll put you up. We'll provide everything you eat. We just want to love on you and encourage you. <laughs> and God used that to bless our church. Listen, every time we'd spend money to do those kind of things, God would give it back over and above. And many times, ten times plus. Because I'm tell you, I believe that kind of thing honors God and pleases God when he sees us helping each other. Now, I, I'm not preaching this sermon tonight. I didn't, I didn't intend to preach this sermon this week. I, it's been a while since I preached it. And I'm not preaching because I sense there's anything going on here. Don't, don't, don't go there, okay? Please. What I do see here, I see some people who have the kind of spirit and a kind of heart that you could be the willing hands for somebody else that's weary. I see here a pastor and his wife that have the kind of spirit and a kind of heart that you might could help somebody's discouraged that just needs to Get away from where they are for just a little few days. And just be around some people that just love on them. Encourage them. I'm telling you, it'll change your church forever. It changed us. I'll never be the same because God taught me this lesson. Little did I know then, though, and then I'd be working, doing full-time, going from church to church, trying to do that. Full time, little did I know then, 
what God had for me to do. But you know what? God knew. And he was just preparing me for what was to come. I want to do something different tonight for the invitation. I know you're shocked and amazed I'd do anything different. Well, there, I want you, Miss Leslie, come sit right here in the center pew on front, okay? I'm going to tell you, I love this couple. We, Kathy and I knew them before they, we knew Leslie before they, she ever dated Aaron. We knew them when they met. And, uh, he begged her, begged her, begged her, and she finally went out with him. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, we know better than that. <laughs> but I'm telling you, you're blessed to have these folks here. Because I'm telling you, I go, I'm in a lot of churches lot of them and you're blessed to have a passion his wife that first of all live what they what they preach they have the kind of heart they have and they love you like they do you're blessed but you know what sometimes they're gonna get weary and well-doing and can I just tell you we've come through COVID we've lost pastors some have actually died to COVID some have gotten out of ministry because of COVID and the struggles in their church trying to get started back. I'm telling you, sometimes you don't realize all the things that your pastor and his wife are facing and dealing with. It's a world of pressure on them. You know what they need sometimes? They just need somebody with some willing hands just come alongside them. And just say, you know, I just want you to know I love you. I care about you. I just want to put my willing hands on your weary hand pray for you and how can I help you what can I do to help you and can I just tell you it'll make a difference I can tell you from, from, from experience it makes a difference when we do that so for this invitation this one I'm going to ask you all to do I'm going to go down I want us all to gather around them all of you will come gather around them and just put our hands on them and just hold up their hands a little while tonight in prayer just ask God to strengthen and encourage them and bless them and help them as they try to lead this church to win more people and see the, con see the congregation grow. Because I believe, I believe it can happen, don't you? I believe God wants to do it, don't you? I do. So right now, if you'd just join us in that, no music playing. All of you would just, just come and get, you can get in the pew behind there. You can get in front. Whenever, anybody, all of you that will or can, come on and just, just, put hands, just put our hands on them. Just let them know we love them and we care about them and we're going to be praying for them. You can come around front here too. Come on up, up front. I didn't ask them if it was all right to do this because if I do, they usually say no, so I don't ask. <laughs> Give my a chance to get up here. About to have a chance to get over here. In just a moment, I'll pray out loud here. And uh, as I'm praying, if you want to pray out loud, if you want to pray to yourself, and God hears it either way, okay? So you pray over how God puts on your heart to pray. Everybody here? We're getting close. Let's come. Just if you can't get your hands on them, just get your hand on somebody in front of you, and we'll all be connected there, okay? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I love you. 
Lord Jesus, thank you for, for Aaron and Leslie. And thank you that you put them in mine and Kathy's life. And uh, they've always been a blessing to us. And Lord, they've been faithful for a lot of years, pastoring and pastor's wife. And, and Lord, just I thank you for them. <laughs> thank you for their heart and their spirit. God, with all of my heart, I sense that, that you want to do something here. With all of my heart, I sense, Lord, that there's great days ahead for this place. And God, that's what I want to see. <laughs> I want to see this place full. I want to see this place thriving for you and a lighthouse in this city, in this area for you. The lost can find how to be found. <laughs> how to be found. You be with there, Miss Leslie, in the days they get tired, weary. They will and they have. In the days they may get discouraged because I'm sure there are those days. No matter how hard we try, Lord, it's hard sometimes not to let things around us discourage us. With COVID and coming through that and still trying to get adjusted to what church going to look like and life looks like after this COVID. And, and Lord, just, I just pray as they navigate these waters as a church and church family. God, I pray that you just keep on the hearts of these folks. Lord, they seem like some precious people. Uh, what a joy already it's been for me just to get to have some conversation with some of them and get to meet them, just get to know them a little bit. I'm better, Lord, because you've allowed me to be here these few days. And Thank you. Thank you. But, Lord, I believe this is the kind of place and kind of people that, Lord, they could encourage some young couple on a mission field that's discouraged. A church plant that's discouraged. Trying to pastor a church and are discouraged. They just need to know that somebody loves them. Somebody cares. God, thank you for the ones you allowed us to help. Oh, but there were so many more. We, I wish we could have helped. We did what we could, Lord. But maybe you'll put on the hearts of more and more churches to have this kind of a ministry, Lord. Lord, I found out it don't have to be a big church to do this. Even a smaller church can give a whole lot of love and encouragement. All that takes is a little time and effort. And we can spend a few hundred dollars, Lord, and there'd be no limit to what the results may be. I'm so glad you didn't let them and Tammy quit. <laughs> I'm so glad you let us be a part of their ministry. Those girls are grown now and married now from home, faithful in church. And you're blessing them so much. God, you keep on blessing them. They, they love you so much. And I want to see you doing that here, Lord. I want to see you do it here. And I believe you can. So you help and guide Aaron and Leslie as we try to lead. And you help this congregation to have willing hands. Now some have warrior hands. Some have worshipful hands. But Lord all of us need to have willing hands. To do what we can. For the battle. In Jesus name. Amen. 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 Brother Aaron. You can close. You, you got anything you need to say before we leave? You, you good? Okay. Well as far as I'm concerned. Then shake a few hands. Hugging somebody's neck. You can be dismissed. <laughs> <laughs>